this week on The Startup Life. Hey, step outside of this for just a moment. Got you. <laughs> um, I think that would have been helpful for me and probably for people around me. All right, Startup Nation. So let's take flight with Kat Gordon, founder of Muddy's Bake Shop. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have these sacred stones. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Scholars, are you ready to join the 25 Plus Club? Parents, how does thousands in college savings sound? Brand new in our school, the Owl Academy, we have released How to Hack the ACT. Students will cover managing test anxiety, math, science reasoning, and why eating a good breakfast is so important. For more information, go to this episode's show notes for the link. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We're here with professional pie tester and owner of Muddy's Bake Shop, Kat Gordon. How's it going, Miss Gordon? It's going great. Awesome, awesome. Are you ready to pour some value in Startup Nation today? I sure as heck hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so let's get started. So what's the story behind Muddy's Bake Shop? Uh, the story really is that I started out in my career as the world's worst real estate agent. <laughs> okay. Um, so that was something I think a lot of people have a similar experience. Maybe some people are like great at everything that they ever do. Fair um, enough. But for the rest of us mortals, <laughs> we kind of often start out in something that we're actually not that great at. Gotcha. Um, okay. Learned a lot from it though. And it was the kind of thing, the baking actually really was happening while I was in this other career. Okay. Um, just sort of a thing I did on the side. And I ended up building a client list that I wasn't expecting. So it didn't start anticipating it to be a business. Okay. Um, didn't sit down one day and just say, oh, what business can I start? I'll do this one. It really was more the reverse. Like, it was a thing I was doing that sort of morphed into a business. Okay, cool. Um, so that was really our origin story. And then for actually making that leap between, you know, oh, hey, I'm just kind of fiddling around with this with a few clients, you know, from my kitchen at my condo. Okay, to opening a retail store, you know, that was the bigger leap, mm-hmm. and that was really, um, you know, the best way I can describe it is a leap of faith. It was a faith journey for me to really take that step, and I honestly didn't think that we would last for six months. I oh, thought wow. this was going to be, like, the most expensive <laughs> character-building experience of my life that gotcha. I was going to end up, like, totally broke and... You know, humiliated. Fair enough. And I did it anyway. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah. So that that's in the nutshell, kind of okay. that first uh, those first few steps. Okay. Cool. So a lot of support, a lot of like you know people saying you can do it or not really or. <laughs> um, not as much. I mean, I had the people that were buying some things from me mm-hmm. were you know asking for more and okay. really interested, and I was getting that feedback of. Oh, I love getting our birthday cake from you, but it'd be so great if I could just you know, bring the kids after school. Um, you know, you should consider opening a shop. Mm-hmm. I'd say the people closest to me, who are obviously more concerned about my safety, well-being, financial stability, gotcha. all those things that like your parents are supposed to right. care about. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. Were a lot more reticent. There definitely were some naysayers rightly mm. so it was 2008 um, fair when enough. I opened fair enough and I think people who had my best interests at heart were rightly really concerned about this I will say once I signed the lease and was like alright we passed the point of getting gotcha. back I'm so blessed that everyone in my life just really even people who were like 
okay, I didn't think you should do this, mm -hmm. but now that you are, let's, you know, what can I do to help? How can I be supportive, sure. encouraging? And I think that that's really, really key. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. We're actually in one of your locations right now. It smells really good in here. And it's very lively, too. It's a Saturday, right? Usually oh, your busy yeah. days. Oh, yeah. Sat <laughs> okay. Fridays and Saturdays are our busiest days, for okay. sure. Cool. So let me ask you this. Do you use any external vendors in your business? I know in entrepreneurship, it's not really technically a one-man band where you kind of have to get supplies <laughs> and stuff like that. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's never a one-man band. And I okay. love that you said that because <laughs> I think that's something that so many people, you know, have that initial spark of entrepreneurship from like, oh, you know, I can do it better than so-and-so. Or right. if you want something done right, do it yourself. Yeah. So there's this like independent streak. And then the second we're in it, it's just like, oh my God, no, I can't do it by myself. <laughs> I need all these people right. to be involved. Um, and yeah, suppliers are hugely important mm -hmm. and you know, we don't, I don't have a wheat farm. I'm not gotcha. like grinding down <laughs> wheat into flour. You know, I right. need flour, I need chocolate, I need coffee and all these folks have such a vital role to play. Mm -hmm. And our philosophy really is that it should be a win-win with us and our suppliers. Sure. You know, financial concerns, obviously, you know, I need to get things at a good price. You know, I need for things to work so that my customers can, you know, pay what we're charging. At the same time, so many suppliers, you know, choosing them wisely has been huge. And we had people who really you know, took a gamble on us, too. I heard that. You know, opening up with, like, opening an account. And, you know, like, our we have local honey. Um, okay. We have people who make aprons that we sell, and we make them by hand. Oh, nice. Um, and, you know, they're taking a chance on us, too, that we're going to be of course. a right of course. fit for them. But one of the great examples of a good supplier relationship I have is actually our coffee. So we're sitting here mm -hmm. uh, in the Midtown shop, which is the one with the full-service coffee bar. And okay. when we opened this shop, I mean, I don't have a background in coffee. Gotcha. Um, I don't know a ton about it. And we use Zingerman's Coffee Company for okay. our espresso blend. And not only did they invite me there to Ann Arbor to hands-on handle the espresso machines and oh, wow. learn how to pour a really great latte, um, you know, pull a shot. They walked us through their roasting facility, walked us through, you know, not even knowing if we were going to use them or not. And then once we did, you know, say, okay, I think we're interested in using these beans, you know, they've come down, we haven't even been open three whole years, and they've been down here in person three times wow. to coach and offer learning and, you know, work with our baristas and explain to us the origins. And I think that's the kind of supplier relationship mm -hmm. that's just really valuable and we're not contracted with them we could leave at any moment oh wow um but i think you know they're trusting us that we want to deliver a great product and have a great relationship and we're doing the same with them and that's the kind of supplier relationship that i really encourage other entrepreneurs to try to foster absolutely i appreciate that it really we always talk about you know providing value to our customers but we never really talk about providing value for with suppliers right. and, and partners and stuff. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Thank you so Thanks. much. It's all one ecosystem. Absolutely. So if you're just completely trying to exploit one piece Ooh. of that ecosystem, <laughs> right. the whole thing is going to get messed up. So figuring out, you know, we're all sort of playing these different positions on a team. How do we make sure this is working for all of us to deliver a really great experience for our customers? What do you wish you would have known before you started, Muddy's? <laughs> oh, you should see the face you just made. Oh, <laughs> 
guessing everyone you interview probably like has this like deep breath moment of like closing their eyes. And they do. Like, <gasps> they do. How do I narrow it down? <laughs> uh, so many. Th- I wish I'd known so many things mm-hmm. at the same time. I'm maybe glad that I didn't. Okay, fair enough. Um, I don't know that I would have done. Like if if I if somebody said, hey, here's a time machine. Why don't you go back and tell 26 year old Cat all the things that you've now learned in the nine years? I think. I would have scared the pants off of her. I don't think she would have done it. Fair enough. So I want to be cautious about not dampening anyone else's enthusiasm for what they're about to do. But at the same time, I think what I wish I had known was I probably should have known a little bit more how hard it would be. Okay. But I'm glad I didn't know. What I wish I had known was to maybe just take some more deep breaths. Fair enough. And... Not to not work as hard, but at the same time, to not not be so self-absorbed with it either. Mm, okay. You know, anything in that environment, you know, you're getting started up and you aren't sleeping and everything feels like a really big deal. And it is mm-hmm. in that moment. But it's really easy to forget that, okay, this is not heart surgery. <laughs> you know, Fair people's enough. actual life and death probably isn't right. at stake right now. Right. There's genocide happening in the world. Absolutely. Like, this is, there's like, a exactly. lot bigger world going on. You put it in perspective, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I do wish that maybe the angel on my shoulder had spoken up a little bit more often early on to okay. say, like, hey, step outside of this for just a moment. Gotcha. <laughs> um, I think that would have been helpful for me and probably for people around me. What have you learned from, like, a bad supervisor or a bad <laughs> mentor that you've experienced? This is like such a great question because we actually asked this in job interviews. Okay. We asked right. um, to tell, it's a similar, we asked right. people to t- think about their you know, most recent supervisor and give us their you know, worst quality and their best quality. Okay. But it's not one I've thought about a lot, like <laughs> my own self of like my own experience. If I think about like one of the worst bosses I ever had, what I would learn now I think is to ask questions and assume positive intent. And I think the reason I learned that from them was it's easy for me to look back. I mean, I have a very specific um, workplace in mind when I'm thinking about, like, sure. oh, the worst place I ever worked. Sure. And I don't know how much of it was about them and how much was actually about me. Fair enough. Now that I'm like 15 years out from that, mm-hmm. I think I probably should have asked better questions and I probably should have assumed more positive intent. Okay. There were some things I thought were like major integrity red flags. I was like, oh okay. my god, I can't believe they're doing this. And you know what? I might be right. It might be a huge... Like, they might have been fine. Gotcha. At the same time, I didn't have the courage or the wisdom to ask for clarity and maybe like assume some positive intent because there might have been a really good reason they were doing what they were Fair doing. Fair enough. So Fair I think enough. I learned that more about myself Fair enough. than about them. Not many people take it that that way, but fair enough. How do you advertise Muddies? Is it more so word of mouth or social media? What works for you? Uh, both word of mouth and social media. Okay. We have never, so I love talking about the difference between marketing and advertising. Okay. So we definitely market the business. We've never taken out an ad. We've okay. never paid for an ad in the nine years that we've been around. I hear that. And it's awesome. <laughs> and it is a bold philosophy. And especially we were tested on that opening a second location. Okay. So I'm like, you know, how do we get the word out? You know, we've got a lot. We've got mouths to feed here. You know, right. do we stick with this or not? And we decided to. And I'm really glad that we did. Because yeah. it puts the burden of 
put a great experience on each of us on the team okay to take care of the customers we have rather mm-hmm. than sort of spend our time and energy thinking like oh there's always more new people out there that we could sort of court right to Fair enough. instead Fair it enough. forces us to say hey no the person right now in front of me it is crucial that I make a great experience for them like they're the ones that are already here and I'm gonna rely on them to tell tell their friends and to bring other people in because they valued what we gave here but then we do have more weird I was just about to say like more traditional marketing things like social media and <laughs> right. I was like that gotcha. is not actually like it's it's so normal now it's right. not Absolutely. that traditional Absolutely. Um, but yeah we have a really I think great social media presence um, I have a lot of fun personally I do most of our social media okay and I love replying to customers you know, I can't be I can't be at both shops and the kitchen all at the same time. Of course. The social course. media has given me such a great opportunity to be able to personally answer questions and engage with guests, you know, no matter where I am. Right. Which is really fun. Cool. So why the name Muddies, if you don't mind me asking? I love that you're asking. <laughs> um, a lot of people ask this. Okay. Muddy was my grandmother. Okay. And okay. she actually died when I was really young. So gotcha. I don't want anybody to like get this fantastic fantasy of like, oh, she learned how to bake for her grandmother. <laughs> That's so precious. Uh, no, that would have been delightful. But um, she was kind of a sassy broad, okay. actually. And okay. I loved hearing my mom's stories about her. And she worked full time and you know, raised a family in a time where that wasn't always the norm. And her deal was, you know, she was just, she loved to party and, you know, she really liked to have a good time, but you know, she would still cook dinner for her family. And her thing was she always made double. So okay. there was a little section. I mean, I think from what my mom says, her kitchen was maybe no bigger than the teeny little office that we're sitting in with about as much counter space, Gotcha. <laughs> but that there was sort of a to go corner of the counter that whether it was a cake or a casserole or something like stuff was always heading out the door and that was just her way of showing people that she cared about them. Fair enough. Um, and I just, when we got the business started, that really stuck with me. And I, was, okay. I didn't want to name it after myself. I felt gotcha. like that was, I know people do, and that's fine. Right. But I thought for me, you know, I didn't start this business to be about me. I started it to be about other people and what we could do for each other. Mm-hmm. So it really made sense to me. It's like, okay, oh my gosh, this is the thing that I've always heard about my grandmother. I should just name it that and okay. that'll be a constant reminder to me of what we're here to do cool it, it, I'm glad you mentioned that because sometimes when I see other entrepreneurs I'm not sure if they're more interested in being famous or starting a business and so it's oh my I'm, gosh yes <laughs> I'm not sure which, like which one is more important so yeah I'm glad you and mentioned that and it's probably that. personal like right. I'm not sure that there's like a right answer to right. that right exactly like, <laughs> but yeah the motivations are really different they're right what did you learn from your biggest family? <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, if you want to share the failure, that's fine. But if you just, you know, I'm really totally trying to, to nail down, like, ooh, which one's the biggest? Fair um, enough. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I think though that there's a common theme in my failures. Okay. Which might be a reflection on me. Like, I might need to like learn faster. Gotcha. Failures um, <laughs> instead of having to learn the same lesson over and over. But I think the lesson that I usually have to learn from failures. Mm-hmm is that most of the failures tend to happen when I lose sight of that why. Fair enough. So when I get really bogged down in the how, and, you know, running a business, there's just so, there are so many details, and there's so much to do that's not your product. 
and like maybe not the thing that got you in in the first place because mm-hmm. like all right I want to sit here and make a difference for people and I want to get out there and pound the pavement and try to make Memphis a happier place right it's great like somebody still you just need to do payroll and it still needs to be accurate and right. like there's all this stuff but I have found where I really start to falter is when I prioritize all those little details over the why. I and hear like that. Making that impact. And once I can sort of refocus on that, mm-hmm. I've found the failure usually isn't irreparable. I hear that. Entrepreneurs consider themselves lifelong learners, always engaged in constant professional professional development, things of that nature. So what does professional development mean for you, Kat? And also, um, what are you learning now? I love this question. <laughs> I, love to, I love learning. I mean, okay. Something that I'm just super excited about all the time, it's learning. Um, and yeah, absolutely. I love that you're pointing that out because it really is this lifelong right. commitment to learning. I've been really fortunate to have some fantastic support in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm part of a small business roundtable group and okay. have been for about five years now, okay. I think. Um, it's 11 people from all around the country, different industries. Um, So none of us are competing with each other. Okay. Uh, But it's this sort of like-minded group. And so we're constantly challenging each other and learning from each other, um, even taking classes together. Okay. Which is great. Um, And I've pursued some other classes. So, you know, I've taken some classes up at Southwest. I've taken continuing ed classes. Uh, I've taken a few at Rhodes. Actually, they're continuing education, like not even on business, just keeping keeping the brain going absolutely. Uh, absolutely and then reading books and honestly like listening to podcasts there's a okay. lot of you know almost classes there's management podcasts and things like mm-hmm. that that you know you really can get some of that learning that you know I didn't think to take business classes in Fair college enough. but it's not too late you can always be learning um, this next question we find people on two different ends of the spectrum okay so some people say in order to be successful as an entrepreneur you need a degree some contacts, networking, stuff like that. Some people just say you just need work ethic and a dream. So, Kat, what say you? Ooh, both and. Both and. Okay. Both and. <laughs> okay. Um, again, I think it depends on the individual. Okay. So, my experience is more the latter. Okay. Um, my formal education is in English literature and art history. So, that is not where I was building business contacts. Right. And, you know, learning. I did take an accounting course, and I'm so glad that I did. Right. Um, college students who are listening, <laughs> please just take Accounting 101, no matter gotcha. what you want to do with your right. life. Right. Um, so, that was my experience. But I can imagine that there are certain industries that somebody may want to go into to okay. start a business where the former actually legitimately might be absolutely much more helpful. So absolutely. I don't think it's a one answer for everybody. Um, but I also don't think that somebody should use one as an excuse to not do something. Fair enough. Fair and tell enough. themselves, oh, because I don't have this, I'm not going to pursue that. I, I, that. I don't think it's an excuse. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? What's the worst? <laughs> best piece of advice that I've gotten is know your needs versus your wants. Okay. And that was from my cousin, Preston Beal, who has started and he started businesses and sold. He's a serial, serial entrepreneur. Okay. Uh, it's a really different model for me. I like to build and maintain. He gotcha. likes to build and then build again. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, but he gave me that advice really early on and said, figure out what you need versus what you want. 
And then on what you want, you know, even have some tiers within that of like really, really okay. want and then like would be nice want. Because sure. if you can go into your business with that filter, you will be so much better empowered to make good decisions for yourself and your team um, mm-hmm. and not get like bright, shiny object syndrome and not be too easily sold on things okay. that might not be the right time. Fair enough. Um, so that was really helpful. And then the worst advice that I've gotten. I think it harkens back to something you mentioned earlier okay. uh, about the motivations. Fair enough. So I've gotten some advice that I think was well-intentioned advice that was to sort of pursue fame and in a way that may not have been in alignment with you know, the values and our goals here at Maze. Right. Um, again, not bad, but like, oh, you should go and do this. You should be on this TV show. You should try to do X, Y, Z. And it's flattering. Mm-hmm. And like I said, very well-intentioned. Right. But I think sometimes not taking into account. If I had just taken and swallowed that and gone after it, mm-hmm. it actually would have taken me farther away from what I really am here to do. It might have gotten me closer to fame, mm-hmm. but maybe in more of a one-dimensional sort of cartoon character in a way that might not have felt as nourishing to myself or people around me. Fair enough. Okay, and I think it really speaks to that other, I think another question we were talking about as far as like focusing on the intent. It was very right. it was very much intended to be very good advice, but it just really, maybe it just didn't fit, so. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like, lesson there, just don't swallow advice whole. Like, right, see, <laughs> right. See exactly. if it applies Exactly, first. fair <laughs> enough. Thank you for sharing that. So, before we go to break, explain to um, Startup Nation like the day in the life of Cat Gordon, when you know from beginning to end, you know as you run Muddies. Oh my gosh, this is so tempting to answer really aspirationally. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm gonna try to keep it actual, okay. um, with the caveat that, of course, I'm sure every single person you've interviewed has said, like, "Oh, there's just not a typical day." You know, it's, it's anything that's needed. But right. To answer the spirit of what you were asking, okay. Um, I usually, for about the last year or so, I've been pretty disciplined about a morning routine, which is completely opposite my that's not how i've operated Mm -hmm. um but it's been game changing okay so i try to when i wake up i try to do about a 10 minute meditation i use headspace app okay um and kind of finished out so like having some of that quiet time but also some prayer has been enormously helpful and of course a cup of coffee or three um (laughs) and then usually while i'm getting ready for the day so you know makeup getting dressed all of that I've really adopted the habit of using that as podcast time. Okay. And I have a whole bunch that I follow and listen to, but I really look at that as, you know, I'm getting dressed, and in the, like, half hour or 40 minutes, whatever that that takes, Mm -hmm. it would be really great if I could also be learning something. Sure. Um, So that's been a really great start to the day. And then usually from there, again, it just depends on the day, but the day is mostly full of one-on-ones so I try to have one-on-one check-ins with my managers you Mm -hmm. know really focusing in not just on status updates with what's going on at their location but also their development on you know how are they on getting to their goals what are some management challenges that they're experiencing gotcha how are they doing as leaders on their team and just having those conversations throughout the week so Mm -hmm. usually most days I'll have you know a sort of burly one-on-one meeting scheduled with a co-worker okay Uh, but then also Usually working on some projects as well. Okay. Um, so typically, whether it's like a leadership retreat that we have coming up for that team, sure. or 
um, you know, a new product that we're working on or something, you know, I'm our, I'm our finance department, I'm our HR department, um, <laughs> gotcha. you know, looking at, okay, what needs to change, you know, are there some compliance laws that are altering? So I usually try to have a focused section sure. to actually work on a project, but then also, you know, doing our social media, mm-hmm. it's a lot of going between locations. So right. you know, yesterday I hopped on behind the bakery case and, you know, covered breaks for okay. an hour and a half. And gotcha. I love that, of like course. serving customers of course. across the counter. And then email like this sounds so not glamorous <laughs> email is a really big part of my day i, I imagine so uh, i imagine so i got my brother loves to share this he's like our it and facilities maintenance person mm-hmm. and he loves to share the details at the end of each month about who got how many emails and typically mine's in the 2000 range gotcha in a month <laughs> and you know everyone teases and has a good laugh um, sure. but yeah that really takes up a good amount of my time and i'm trying to be more disciplined about scheduling it like that's advice i've heard from so many people that i've been like that's great advice and then not (laughs) taking it um so that's actually a good portion and then the rest is sort of that filler it just depends on what's going on and it it could be training it could be talking with customers it could be going you know i did something with the girl scouts last week um you know giving them sort of a workshop in customer service because they're getting ready for their cookie sales absolutely um so i've found that more and more of my time is actually used with some things that are customer but not like oh customers at the counter but our our broader community i hear that i hear that so we're going to take a quick break how you like being on the startup life so far this is awesome this is so great (laughs) these are such great questions okay cool thank you so much so we're going to take a quick break and you're listening to the startup life fantastic If you are a teacher looking for great resources, look no further than Owls e-commerce store on Teachers Pay Teachers, the store name Teaching with Owls. Enjoy great lessons based on short stories from great authors such as Kate Choppin's The Story of an Hour and Edgar Allan Poe's The Mask of the Red Death. And no worries, teachers, all lessons are Common Core aligned. Let's continue. All right, Startup Nation, so let's continue. So, Kat, if you would, you were talking about um, during the break your leadership retreat. Could you, you know, share with us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we're huge dorks here, and we call, um, we call our sort of annual planning process MapQuest, which, oh. like, I'm not even sure anybody still uses MapQuest Fair to enough. get around anymore, but, like, M-A-P, Muddy's Annual Planning. Gotcha. Um, MapQuest. So that's sort of where we map out you know, where we are for the year, our strategic plan. Mm -hmm. And to give a little bit of backstory, we actually have a vision. We're really big users of uh, the visioning technique. Okay. And a couple years ago, we were building our vision for 2020. You know, what does Muddy's look like in 2020? Mm -hmm. And that was a process that all staff were invited to participate in. So, you know, I was in the role of editor rather than creator of our vision for where we're going. Okay. Uh, which is a scary place. You know, so that's a place of vulnerability to of say to, you know, 50 people, hey, y'all, you determine what this is going to look like. Um, and I'll just retain veto power, but, you know, y'all go with it. Gotcha. So that's sort of where it started. And then once you have a clear vision in place, you still need to make a plan to get there. And so MapQuest really evolved from charting that out of where do we come together uh, throughout the year to really look at where we are and our progress on that. 
so it started as planning and then over the last couple of years you know as we've been doing it a little bit more mm-hmm. um, we started doing it quarterly so sure. each year we have a big kickoff two day um, two day retreat for our managers and then we sort of follow it up with you know di- single day you know each quarter following mm-hmm. um, and it really has been a combination of that annual planning okay. and leadership development because okay, um, cool. that's such a great opportunity to have people in these management roles. Most of us maybe ha- have some le- leadership or management experience, sure. but you know at the same time we all feel like amateurs all the time, right? Yeah, I absolutely. mean that's just the human experience. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's been, it's become a really great thing to spend some time looking at not just the overall companies you know, project status and things like that and what do we need to focus on, Mm -hmm. but also ways that that leadership team can come together. And, you know, we have some homework assignments we work on. And it's flexed my muscles in that because, you know, I'm putting together preparation packets, you know, pre-reading to do to get in the right mindset and really looking at how do we want to develop our leadership and our presence, you know, on our teams and sharing tools with each other. So that's been really huge. It's definitely been something I've sort of had to learn as I'm doing it. Sure. But I think even the process of building those retreats and building a program for my managers that's going to best serve them mm-hmm. has been really eye-opening for me to be able to identify, you know, hey, what maybe do we need to work on? You know, where that. do I need to work on my leadership right. and my management? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sort of exploring that territory together has been great. Right. Uh, the reason I wanted you to talk about that, because I think it's one of those things in starting a business or having a business um, about having a great culture. And I think something like a like a retreat only works if you have a great culture. Yeah. And so thank you for sharing that. What do you think is a popular misconception about having a business? There are so many. Um, <laughs> I think there's a misconception that, okay, there's two. Okay. Because I, I want to make some some word differentiation here. Sure. I think a popular misconception about having a business is that it is a thing that you have. Okay. I think sometimes people forget that it's a thing that you participate in. Um, and whether you technically own the business or not, and there's a lot of people you can talk to that you're like, oh, I think your business owns you. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> but I think it's easy for people to get a little bit egocentric about it and okay. think that the business is for them and about them and that people are working for them. Mm-hmm. Nobody works for someone else. I hear that. People work for their own reasons right. and need to be getting something of value out of the experience as well. So I think as an entrepreneur, you really only have total ownership of your business for a fleeting moment in time. I hear that. Because even if, yeah, you might legally own your whole business, but very quickly, it's not just about you. Gotcha. It's about the team, and it's about the customer, and it's about all these other things. So I think so much frustration comes when we think that, oh, like, oh this is mine, and it, it's supposed to be easier than this because right. it's mine. Gotcha. Um, so that's a single one. But then I think there's a larger misconception about business in okay. general. And that is, that's sort of two sides of the same coin. And one being that business is all evil. And business is the root of this giant problem that we have in our country. Right. And then sort of the other side of, oh, business is our savior. And there's this Mm. almost fetishization of the entrepreneur as the hero and the white knight. And, you know, oh, we can solve all of our problems through business. And I think those two competing ideas get it wrong in the same way 
in that we're ascribing qualities or power to something that that thing doesn't necessarily have because business is people. Right. So the same business can be good and it can be evil and it can be this wonderful tool to sort of get a movement going mm-hmm. and make some positive change happen or it can be a real nightmare. A real nightmare, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for other people and really exploitive. Right. But it's not it's not the business itself. I mean, business is sort of like x-man superpowers right it can be good or evil it's the people in it and what the choices that we make and i I just think we sort of make the mistake of ascribing too much power to the thing itself as the big evil or the big good i hear that on on the the you know evil or good where do you think that comes from do you think that comes from what we see from other entrepreneurs that are successful do you think that comes from like the movies where do you think that comes from i think it comes from all of it um, you know, we definitely have, there's a success bias okay. for entrepreneurs. I mean, we, we hear about the successful entrepreneurs. Like sure. you don't, you don't see on the cover of Forbes, the guy who really tried and made a good go of it and failed. Like right. The, so there is already this success bias that sort of feeds into that hero narrative. Mm-hmm. But I think on the other side, the evil narrative, you know, there is, there have been businesses that have really done some terrible damage. I hear that. And that's been very, very public. Mm-hmm. And I think as humans, though, we have a need for somebody to be at fault. And we have a need to see something outside of ourselves as the problem. And I think so much much of the time it's easier to say, you know, oh, blame business or Mm -hmm. blame politics or blame, you know, fill in the blank. Right. That's true. Blame my mom and dad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And really, I think that's the root of where that comes from on both sides of having this external locus of control of saying, you know, I neither want the responsibility nor the blame of having to show up and say, yeah, you know what? I'm part of this really awesome thing and I can turn stuff around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe every day I have an obligation to make the world a better place, Mm -hmm. but also like to say like, you know, I don't want to take the responsibility for that. I don't want to take the blame for that. You know, no one person is it total total blame or total course, good either way course. but yeah I think that's maybe where some of that comes from is we just we have a need we're looking for somebody to say oh they made this awesome thing happen because they're special and because mm. they're this great entrepreneur or oh this terrible thing happened because you know business is bad and they got in over their head and it's their fault well, I feel like that answer could be a podcast episode in itself. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that, 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 you took it on a whole nother level, Kat. But I appreciate that's very valuable stuff, you know, because it like, you know, business as in life is very nuanced and it's not yeah. very cut and dry as we, you know, as humans, like you said, try to make it out to be. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. I appreciate okay. that. I believe entrepreneurship affects things outside of the business itself. So how has entrepreneurship affected your lifestyle? <laughs> less sleep. <laughs> yeah, less sleep, more coffee. Okay. Um, that's probably the the long and short of it. But I think there is an author, and I'm going to completely probably butcher her name. It's, her name is Meg Hirschberg, I okay. think. And she has a wonderful book that I really recommend anybody who's interested getting into small business mm-hmm. or is married to someone who's interested in getting into their own business. Okay. Read. And her husband was the founder of Stony, is it Stony Brook or Stonyfield Yogurt. Okay. Yogurt yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and she had a column with Inc. Magazine for a really long time and then wrote this book that is sort of the spouse's guide 
to like, hey, interesting. Here's what you should keep in mind from the family side, mm-hmm. and it was always really enlightening to me because it made me a little bit more sympathetic about what I was asking of my husband and asking of my family mm-hmm. constantly, and I'm still asking of my husband and family. And my lifestyle has so largely changed because, you know, nine years in, I am getting more sleep and I am much more balanced than gotcha. I used to be. Um, you know, during that startup phase. Mm-hmm. And I'm more aware that I am running a marathon and I can't I can't ask, you know, myself, my spirit, my body, I can't ask people around me to just run back to back sprints forever. Right. Um, I've gotta pace it out. Mm-hmm. But the lifestyle changes are still acute. You know, you end up really... I need people in my life pushing back on me and saying, hey, is this thing at work? Like, do you need to be checking your email at 10 o'clock at night? Gotcha. You know, can you maybe... Is there anything you're going to do about it? Right. Right now? You know, maybe waiting and sort of learning those boundaries. Uh, So that piece of the lifestyle is really big. And I've been fortunate in my life that I have those people... ...who have been able to kind of say, hey take care of yourself right a little bit um but at the same time it's given me a ton of energy and i think that that idea i mean your life isn't i don't have like work life and home life you have one life right of course <laughs> and yeah it's, i think it's overall made good impacts but definitely necessary to you know step back and look every now and then to say like oh okay right am i cannibalizing my own experience like mm, if yes like all right let's let's pull back how many uh, locations do you have now cat we have two shops plus okay. a kitchen. Plus a kitchen. So, okay. yeah, the kitchen, uh, poor thing. It's like our <laughs> middle child that everyone forgets about. Oh, no. um, and, yeah, I try to split my time pretty evenly. Gotcha. I think I've been weighted a little heavy on the kitchen just Fair lately. Enough. But, yeah, so three work locations. Okay, and how many employees are across the three lo- locations? 52. 52. Wow, that's yes. awesome. That's awesome. Yes. So, with that being said, when you bring on somebody, you know, when you're interviewing, what are you looking for in an employee? Because I would imagine they need to fit the muddy culture. Yeah. So what are you looking for when you're uh, looking for prospective employees? Work ethic is huge. Okay. Um, we get, I think, like a lot of creative businesses with a cute and fun product <laughs> and environment. Right. Um, there's always the danger of, you know, somebody, again, with the best of intentions, mm-hmm. feeling like, oh this looks so fun, you know, I would love to do this. It can be really easy for it to be like a movie. I remember even as a teenager, like I loved the movie Empire Records. Okay. You can tell, Child of the 90s right here (laughs) when I was a teenager. Um, (laughs) But even then I remember thinking like, are all of those people on the clock right now? No wonder your business is failing. Like, are any of you working? Are you doing your jobs? (laughs) Right. Um, And I think that's something, you know, first and foremost we look to see is this somebody who's still going to be interested in serving our customers when our customer's having a bad day? I hear that. Is this somebody who's going to be interested in making cupcakes when they're tired from making a thousand cupcakes yesterday? And, you know, can they push past that initial thing and still be joyful and cheerful and find something fulfilling in Mm -hmm. that? Um, So that's number one. And then number two really is those other things that are really hard to teach people. Okay. Um, that's just enthusiasm and I hear that. humility. You know, is somebody going to come in and say, oh, I already know everything. I'm the smartest person in this room and not look at their coworkers, you know, who may have different backgrounds than them and sure. say, okay, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from this experience? Uh, so we're really looking for that humility and that curiosity. 
um, and the work ethic. I think those are the big ones. And then just general enthusiasm. And, like, is this somebody who likes people? I hear that. It's surprising the number of people who can really answer questions right in an interview. Mm -hmm. Who are smart (laughs) and well-intentioned. Right. But, like, might not genuinely like people. And that's a hard thing to suss out sometimes. But, like, it makes all the difference, and it makes all the difference for them. You know, if you Mm -hmm. don't like people... An encounter with a rude customer right. can really ruin your entire day or even your week or make you wonder if there's something about you that's awful and terrible. Right. If you genuinely like people, you're much more likely to know that, okay, that person's mood had nothing to do with me. Right. How can I be compassionate Absolutely. and still get them what they need without having it be something that just is a burden on my spirit? Right. I hear that. I hear that. Um, with that, you know, uh, nice segue to when you talk about rude customers, mm-hmm. have you ever had to t- uh, turn away a customer before mm-hmm. because they're being too rude? Or, yes. Okay. Can, can you tell us a story? Yeah, of and, and, course. And, and if you need to, you know, hide the uh, names to protect the innocent, that's oh, fine yeah, as well. Oh, yeah, I definitely uh, <laughs> won't give names. Right. Um, yeah, but I'd say, first of all, I'm really fortunate in that nine years in, I think we've only had to, you know, fire a small handful of guests. Um, And of course, we never tell them that they're fired. That is an invitation to frequent another establishment. I hear that. And really the only, a senior man, we are very clear up front in our customer service training that only Mm -hmm. a senior manager is allowed to make that decision about a customer. You know, we can put up with a lot of rudeness and we're professionals Mm -hmm. and that is what it is. And that is a part of being human. Okay. Uh, when something crosses a line into harassment, I hear that. That is where right. we have a, a serious problem. It's a non negotiable. Yeah, and I remember <laughs> I still remember the first person that I had to invite to not come back. Right. And you know, I'm not sure what was going on, but he was lashing out at my staff in a way that was absolutely just not okay. Right. And, you know, we can we can do all the steps and be compassionate, but if you're if you've lost control to the extent, um, you know over over cupcakes that mm-hmm. you're gonna scream at someone that that they are stupid, right? And they don't even deserve to live. Like that's not right. That's not okay. Yeah, that's pretty much what it takes. I thought, to really just get fired I, as I, a customer. I, right. <laughs> I, I would think cupcakes make people happy. Like like why would I don't know. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> and for, for most people, right. it does. And yeah, and we do spend some time in training talking about the difference between between not polite, mm-hmm. which is one thing and is usually, again, not intentional. Right. And you know, very few people wake up in the morning and say, who can I screw over today? Yeah. Who can I make feel small today? Right. Oh, I know. I'll go to the bakery <laughs> and make that precious 20-year-old behind the counter feel terrible about herself. Right. Like, nobody right. actually has that intention. Of course not. Um, and, yeah, I'm very fortunate that in the many years I've been doing this, there really have only been a handful of people that have, I think, maybe actually had that intention. Okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky. Cool Not good cool <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. Let me ask you this to kind of change, uh, transition to something else real quick. Yeah. Do you think entrepreneurs have a social obligation to make the world a better place or to take on social issues for that matter? Ooh, okay. Those are two 
Those are two different questions. But okay. that's such a great question. Um, <laughs> especially now. I mean, always, but right. I think especially right. now. Right. Um, and, and you don't have to be too political, of course. No, but no. No, but I'm a, I will be just... I think it's clear that the spirit with which I've approached this interview has been... I'm going to give a real answer. Absolutely. And if I'm not comfortable Absolutely. answering something, I'll just say... Fair enough. And this is a question that I think is more and more important to be asking. And it's a question that I've been asking myself a whole lot. Okay. Um... You know, especially as the business has matured. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're nine years old now. We're much more visible. Um, I still feel like we're this like scrappy, brand new underdog, <laughs> and I sometimes have to realize like, oh yeah, right. no, like most people <laughs> probably look at this and are like, oh, you kind of know what you're doing, right? So I have been asking myself, you know, what is the role there? And I think that a big distinction to make, and who knows, I may change my mind about this, but sure. where I've sort of been lately has been that my view has always been that on big issues Mm -hmm. um, there is a difference between the entrepreneur and the business and I think it's something that the entrepreneur has to be very careful about I hear that I'm very conscious you kind of like when I was saying I didn't name the business cats right I named the business because I was trying to be conscious from early on that I'm a part of something bigger and a part of a team Mm -hmm. so I do try to remember when I speak if I'm speaking for the business, I'm not speaking. I'm that. speaking for 52 people right. who are incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's important when you are speaking as the business to be mindful of that. Absolutely. Um, and just sort of appreciate that like the business isn't a person. Right. Muddy's is not a person. Muddy's is 52 people who have come together with some common values and some a common goal of making Memphis a better place absolutely in this way through customer service and through our product absolutely that said I do think that an entrepreneur has the responsibility as the head of a team to stay informed about things I hear that and to ask hard questions at least of themselves Mm -hmm. but potentially out in the broader world as well Um, and I think that the entrepreneur has the responsibility to filter and question and take a look at how things apply in this team you know it's sort of like we're heading a ship you know we're driving this ship somewhere and there are 52 souls on it Mm -hmm. so i need to know the climate i need to know what we're headed into and i need to know how what's going on in the broader world affects these 52 souls absolutely um and be able to make some good decisions from an informed standpoint um, and I, you know, beyond that, I'm really not sure. It might it might depend on the entrepreneur. It might depend on the industry. It might depend on the issue. Honestly, right. That's um, true. You know, for example, there are there are social issues in question right now that are directly about workplaces yep. and the role of work. Mm-hmm. You know, in the American life and in right. in people's lives and what this looks like and you know what appropriate wages are and you know I think that that is absolutely something that someone heading a business has a responsibility to be staying informed about right stay mm-hmm. informed and to maybe have an opinion right um, so I think it's sort of a judgment call hear that. in a lot of ways um, but I do think that not just an entrepreneur any person has a responsibility to look at some social issues and look at how we're spending our day to day and the work that we're doing is it contributing to something good or is it detracting? Because I really don't believe in a neutral. I hear that. I think we all make a difference every day. Mm-hmm. And it's positive or it's negative. I hear that. Um, 
So we all have a responsibility to really look that. at that. I hear that. Full disclosure, I just recently changed my questions, and you're the first one who's answered that question. And I feel like oh. you set the bar pretty high. So yes. thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Because oh. I, I thought, like, given our, our current, you know, climate, political climate, and stuff yeah. like that, that it was a, a pretty important question to kind of put in there. So thank you for sharing. It's a question I think a lot of us have been asking. And yeah. You know, I'll just be open here. I think there's also a lot of fear around it. Yeah. And I think it's really challenging sometimes, especially maybe the more established you get, mm-hmm. to not lead from a place of fear. Right. But that's sometimes easier said than done. That's true. That's true. And, and I think also when you talked about uh, separating business and the entrepreneur, it's a lot of the nuance we talk about with trying to like, I guess basically what you're saying is like kind of take the same approach you would like separating church and state, if you will, right? Yeah. So, you know, but no, thank you for sharing that. Kat, who are your mentors? Oh, I have so many. <laughs> you have so many? I have so many. And I have, I think, mentor, I have a lot of role models. Okay. But when I think about mentors, you know, to me that implies a real give and take relationship. Mm-hmm. I think one of my favorite mentors that I have is Maggie Bayless. Okay. Um, She's with Zing Train, and she does she does professional leadership and business training and coaching, and she's one of those people that I really find myself. It's like the what would Maggie do? <laughs> no, Maggie Bayless is just one of those people that is so thoughtful, and has really I think she's reached a point in her career where even though she does you know she does professional coaching and business building as her job she's reached a point where she is so focused on paying it forward I hear that. and so i've really benefited from that mm-hmm. um because you know i'm just i'm not a person i'm not in a position where i can afford you know financially to have like right a, a coach and a professional person <laughs> who does that for me right. um so she's been hugely helpful and just wise and compassionate and is always really great about pushing me to say what's the other side of the story so if I'm all hot and bothered about something and I'm like oh and you know that feeling you get where you you know with 100% certainty that you're right right ooh she has been so helpful in telling you know teaching me to oh when that is happening and you're 100% sure that you're right Mm -hmm. that is where you really need to pay attention and say, what would my not being right look like? I hear that. What would be the other side of this? Interesting. And that's been helpful. But yeah, she's just, she's been great. But yeah, I've got, I've got so many people that have stepped up. And I have found by just asking people questions, everybody, everybody's so eager to help other people. Mm-hmm. So just raising your hand and saying, you know, hey, I'm struggling with this or hey, so-and-so, what do, you, what do you think about this? Right. Has really just opening up to those great relationships that have been amazing. I hear that. Thank you for sharing. So, as you know, we're here in Memphis. We're in the Cooper Young District here in Memphis, you know, uh, it's your, uh, Cooper, Young, Cooper location. There's an entrepreneur out here in the city, okay, and they're thinking about going to Atlanta to start a business or going to Nashville. Make the case why they should start right here in Memphis. Stay, stay. <laughs> okay, well, I learned a really cool fact. Okay. Um, just yesterday. All right. Actually, cool. So I was out at the uh, City Current breakfast, and I heard this statistic, which 
which is so cool. And it was that in most other cities, like large metropolitan cities, there are five or six degrees of separation between any two given people. Okay. In Memphis, we have two. Wow. That is the statistic for our big, small town. (laughs) Any two people in Memphis probably only have two degrees of separation. Got you. And I think that is such an opportunity for somebody looking to start a business here. Um, you know, I could cite all sorts of stuff about, you know, cost of living mm-hmm. and, you know, all of the neat things going on and just, you know, there's so many creative things going on here. And that's, that, true. that's all fantastic. But I really think that, at least from my experience, that community was so, so helpful. I could not still be here if it weren't for you know, real people saying, hey, that girl looks like she needs some help. Gotcha. Or, you know, those people you asked about mentors, you know, Mm -hmm. people being willing to sit down and have a cup of coffee with me and, you know, either look at my books or let me ask them about hiring or different things like that. And I think in a place like Memphis, you're so much more likely to have people say yes when you ask them. I hear that. And that just, you can't replace that. Where do you see monies in the next five years? (gasps) <gasps> Money's is going to be right here in Memphis. Okay. Uh, that was, so I described our visioning process mm-hmm. earlier and making a 2020 vision. And, you know, before we got started with just letting the staff come up with, you know, any at all ideas that they really thought were compelling, I did have a few ground rules. Okay. And one of them was that I was not going to entertain uh, the idea of being open on Sundays. Okay. That's one of just, that's a boundary. Sure. Um, but then the other was, we're not, we're not expanding outside of Memphis. Okay. We're going to be here. And, you know, we get questions all the time about, you know, franchising or, mm-hmm. you know, opening up other cities. And I think, you know, franchising can be a great option for a lot of businesses and it can allow, um, you know, it can really allow somebody to make an impact and lead a team in a more safe way. So, I mean, I think that franchising has a lot good to be said of it Mm -hmm. but it's not it's not what I want for my business so we're really dedicated to being here in Memphis Uh, we do want to grow a little bit more we have just launched um, a mail order partnership with goldbelly.com which is very exciting Uh, we make all of our products from scratch Mm -hmm. by hand um, and fresh so that does limit our mailing options we're not freezing our cakes and cupcakes and we're not going to start but you know looking for some creative ways to send a little memphis some other places has been really fun but yeah i think in i think in five years we just we want to be even more magical than now we want to expand our community program you know we currently have paid volunteerism as a program for staff i would love to see that even grow okay and we have in our plans to find ways to say okay you know we already have this community impact how do we how do we 10x that how do we bring our customers maybe in on that like that'd be great you know we've talked about possibly doing something with habitat for humanity like all right what would that look like if we invited not just people who work here Mm -hmm. to be a part of that but like our alumni and our customers so we're, we're trying to look for some creative ways to really say you know it's it's about more than cupcakes. I hear and that. It's about more than please and thank you. It's like, how do we spread that hospitality? 
even further outside of our own walls. And I think that's our big five-year challenge. I hear that. Are you, are you a Grant Cardone person? Oh, oh, oh. not super familiar. <laughs> Only reason I say that because you said 10X. And so oh, it's like, it's oh, like oh, That's oh. like his thing, like 10X, 10X, 10X. So. <gasps> really? Yeah. Okay, well, then I need to learn more about this because, yes, just <laughs> 10X. I was totally thinking, like, yeah, like Tim Ferriss or <laughs> oh, no, something yeah, on, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, looking at that and even if we, like, we'll have to work harder to do it. Okay. But okay. that's fine. Gotcha. All right, cool. So, Kat, this is the point of the show where you pretty much advertise, like, any current promotions or anything like that. The floor is yours to just throw it all out there. Oh, my gosh. And, and to, you know, you mentioned the mail order. We do have listeners in Tokyo and, and Warsaw, Poland, and Oslo, oh Norway. Goodness. So, we're kind of, you know, so the floor is yours to just throw it out there. Wow. <laughs> um, okay, well, to our listeners in Japan, I say Ohio. Oh, Just nice. Good morning. Um, it's one of the very few words that I know. Um, so that was for y'all. And um, wow, I think what I'd really like to promote is more, uh, you know, definitely go to our website, moneysbakeshop.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, really excited just about the stuff we've got going on there, you know, with the mail order, but then also some events and things. We're trying to look for more ways to be involved. Okay. Um, more ways that we can make it easier for people to come come and be involved with us and okay. with their with their neighbors with their community. Check us out. Instagram is my favorite of our social media. Okay. That's just at moneysbakeshop.com. But really, if I had like an ask of the listener, I would say, you know, when you finish listening to today's podcast, I'd really challenge you to go somewhere. It can be Muddy's, it can be uh, the grocery store, it could be, you know, one of our competitors even. But I'd say challenge yourself to go out there and pay attention to your presence with your community, um, how you interact with people as a customer, and especially if you're getting started uh, with your own business, doing some, uh, some analysis of how you are a customer out somewhere else, I think is a great starting point for thinking about how you could impact your your potential future employees I hear that. Um, and your potential I hear that. future customers. That that's like my homework assignment for the listeners. Today. Okay. All right. So you got homework startup nation. Also her website is in the show notes uh, there for you to easy access to click on it. So any parting advice for entrepreneurs out there as we kind of close out the show. You know, just just get out there and when you get knocked down, pick it up again because we all get knocked down. Right. All of us. And don't let that success bias and the entrepreneur is hero. Don't let that make you feel like because you're struggling, you're failing. We are all struggling. We are all failing. You have a fantastic community of people that are out here. We're all human. So just give yourself a little bit of grace. Got you. I hear that. So that's going to conclude this episode of The Startup Life. We want to thank Kat Gordon for coming on the show, dropping some huge nuggets on the show. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> I had such a great time. Cool. Thank you, thank so, you much. so much. All right, Startup Nation. Here's my final take. When it comes to Kat Gordon, creating and building a great team culture is very important. She understands that customer service is not just for the customers. It's also for her staff and management team. And when you add in her community outreach and philanthropy, she'll be the first to tell you that at Muddy's Bake Shop, it's not just about cupcakes. If you want to let us know what you think about the show or would like to advertise on our show, send us an email to the address in the show notes. Subscribe to The Startup Life as it can now be heard on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Also, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Owls LLC. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life. The Startup Life. Startup Life.